Love Affair. Uh, that's the series that uh, we're in for the past couple of weeks. We've been uh, walking through, talking a little bit about God's design for marriage. And my belief and what I believe the Word of God teaches is that marriage is designed to be a love affair between a husband and a wife, this lifelong commitment, this lifelong covenant to one another, uh, something that we get to enjoy, you know, a great thing that, that God created, that God gave us to us that, you know, in, in Genesis, that a man and a woman would leave their father and mother and be united to, to, you know, to the, as husband and wife, and the two would become one flesh. Now, why isn't it that easy? You know, I mean, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And, you know, the last couple of weeks I know have, have been a little challenging. They, they've been challenging for me as we've talked about some tough issues. We've talked about the attack on marriages in our, in our country today and even in our own church. And the attack on, on, on marriages from the standpoint of, of husbands and wives just not paying attention to maybe this, this marital drift that is taking place or has taken place over a number of years. The, the, this attack by Satan to, to get into the lives of a, the life of a man and to get into the life of a woman and, and to create unfaithfulness, you know, that, that actually an affair would take place in some situations and, and divorce. And, and I know that for some of you, this has really been difficult to hear, you know, because you're living in the pain or you're, you're living, you know, in the regret of maybe a choice made or some choices made. And, and it's one thing for me to sit up here and say it, and you're sitting in your seat and you're saying, you know, you have no idea, Paul. I mean, you really have no idea what it's like to go through this, what it's like to go through this pain, and, and that's true. I mean, it is true, and I hope in no way I've, I've simplified the process or I've, I've tried to say that I know what it's like or that I can understand, but you've been there. And uh, we believe, I believe God's Word teaches that, that marriages can be great. Uh, you know, maybe you're here and, and you're single and you're wondering, you know, what, what's this all about for me? I mean, when do we get through this so we can get on to the next thing? I, I hope that you'll remind yourself this morning that, hey, there's something in this for all of us. I mean, that, that God's Word teaches us obedience and how to live our lives and, and to prepare ourselves for our spouse one day. Or, or maybe you're, you know, you're divorced now. And you're living in that pain, and it wasn't even your choice. But, but again, maybe for you, this series is, is about understanding maybe some of the things that took place in your marriage so that, you know, maybe the next time can be different, or maybe you can raise your kids differently, or that, that you can be healed or even feel like you're forgiven. Uh, we're, we're doing this series called Love Affair, and, and I have been anticipating and looking forward to this week. Because the last couple of weeks have been a little challenging as we've talked about affairs, as we've talked about temptation, as we've talked about marital drift. And this week we're going to see a beautiful story of, uh, of a broken marriage put back together, of broken people, of, of wholeness, of God's great work, and, and what he can do when he's at the center of every marriage. And so I, I've been looking forward to this week and anticipating it. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to talk to a couple in just a few minutes. Well, let's pray together. I'm going to share a few things, and then we'll invite this couple to come share their story. God, we, we just thank you for this morning and for this time together. And God, we want to be a church that is willing to talk about uh, some very relevant issues, a very relevant subject, uh, especially this subject of marriage, God. And we know that Satan is doing everything that he can to attack marriages in our country today and attack marriages in our church. Uh, he's all about creating division. And God, we know that you've given marriage is a great covenant, is a great blessing to us where two become one in your name. And we just want to know how to do that, Lord. And so I pray this morning that your words would be clear, uh, that our hearts would be open and our minds would be ready to receive what it is that you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. 
We're going to spend a few minutes in the book of Genesis this morning, but go ahead and get to Genesis chapter 12, and then we're going to jump around to a couple of different places. But this morning, we're going to continue with this series called Love Affair, and we're going to talk about covenants, Uh, the word covenant. A covenant, let me just give you a simple definition here. A covenant is a a blood bond of life and death. Okay, get that in your mind if you can. A covenant is a blood bond of life and death. And in our, our modern day language, we may quickly call a covenant a commitment, but, but it's more than that. Uh, a covenant is a commitment on steroids. And for you baseball fans, a covenant is a commitment on HGH, okay? I mean, it, it, it's big time. A covenant, a blood bond of life and death. And the word covenant is used all throughout the Bible. Uh, Spend some time reading through the Bible and you will see the word covenant used over 286 times or 286 times. It's the word covenant. And God was always making covenants with his people. And this morning I want to quickly draw your attention to one of the covenants that God made to a guy by the name of Abram. In, in Genesis. And, and God made this covenant to Abram, and, and they got together. And it's pretty interesting how it plays out. And if you're in Genesis chapter 12, let me just begin there in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. Now, here's what we need to know that Abram was a very rich guy. I mean, he was stinking rich. He, he had everything that he needed, he had a huge family, and God told him to move. Now, this is just more than Paul and Jenny Moomaw and three kids moving from Louisville, Kentucky to Noblesville or even like a move that you made. No, this is Bill Gates and a Fortune 500 company picking up and moving from one state to another state. I mean, this is a big family. And so Abram, who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, was commissioned by God to move from one place to another place, to move from the Chaldeans to this place called Canaan, verse 2. God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the word here, the word here that stands out to me, the one that is most used in this passage is pretty obvious. It's the word blessing. Let me give you a simple definition of the word blessing. Blessing means to be uh, on the receiving end of the supernatural favor of God. Now in Genesis 15, 8, as this story continues, Abram gets to the point as he's packing up his family, as as the moving trucks are pulling out of town, that Abram stops and and he asks a question. And in verse 8, he asks, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that when we get there, we'll gain possession of it? Basically, here's what he's saying. God, here's my question. Because you're asking a lot of us, you're asking a lot of our family. I mean, this is a pretty big sacrifice on our part. How can I know that you'll be true to what you're saying? You know, how how can I know that when we get there, that all this is going to play out, it all is actually going to work, and that this land is somehow magically going to be ours? And so what does God do? Well, God responds to Abram with a covenant. Look at this next verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, this covenant that God is establishing with Abram will define the depths of the relationship. Again, what's a covenant? It's this blood bond of life and death. The root word covenant actually comes from the word to cut. Now, look at the second half of of verse 18 here. 
It says, on that day, God made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. And so now here's what happens next. Abram brought a heifer, a goat, and a ram. And and this is kind of gross. I'm going to give you the details of this. And he took the animals and he actually split them in two. All three animals, he split them in two. And then he arranged the bloody halves opposite side from one another. And then here's what the text tells us, that God walked through the center of these divided animals. He took the initiative in the covenant and he walked between them as a symbol. And here's what God was saying through this symbol, through this action. He's saying, Abram, Abraham, I, I'm, I'm going to pour out my supernatural favor on your life. I, I'm going to bless you. You know, I love you unconditionally. I'm going to make your name great and you're going to be a huge difference maker in this land. I'm going to keep, God said, I'm going to keep my end of the deal. I'm going to keep my covenant with you. And from that point, Abraham went into covenant with God. God cut a covenant. God was the initiator in this covenant. Now, I don't know if you notice what happened here, but first I called him Abram, and then the scriptures change all of a sudden, and he goes from Abram to Abraham. And you may have noticed that, that, it's, that it's Abraham now with an H. It's an, it's an H-A. It took place after the covenant. You know, before the covenant, it's Abram. After the covenant, it's Abraham. Well, I just think it's kind of interesting to point out that this phrase, ha, symbolizes the breath of God the breath of God on Abraham's life. And after Abram had gone into covenant with God, he had the ha, or the breath of God on his life. Abraham had the touch of God on his life because he was now in covenant with God. And covenants occurred often in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. They illustrated two parties becoming one. They symbolized self-sacrifice on the part of both parties for the sake of the other. Covenants symbolize two parties working together towards a common goal, a covenant, a blood bond of life and death. You know, I I was thinking this past week that we live in a a crazy culture today for many reasons, and I was realizing that the mobile phone that I have, the contract, will be up this summer, and I got to thinking that, you know, you have to have a contract to do just about anything today, don't you know? I mean, everybody's out there to protect themselves. I mean, if you want a mobile phone, what do you do? You have to sign a contract. You know, you've got to sign a two-year contract. If you want direct TV in your house, you're going to sign a contract. Uh, if you want to lease a car, again, you're going to sign a contract. If you want to get married, you sign a contract. Well, how good are contracts? I mean, contracts are unique because they basically say, if you keep up your end of the deal, I'll keep up my end of the deal. But the moment we feel like that one person isn't keeping up their end of the deal, then I'm out. And so we live in this contract crazed culture today surrounded by affidavits and stipulations and, and fine print and prenuptial agreements, and we see everything as a contract. Well, let me just quickly give you the definition of a contract, and I don't have this on the screen for you, but there are three things that kind of define a contract. First is that it's an agreement with two or more parties, especially one that's written and is enforceable by, enforceable by law. The secondly, is that the writing or document, it's a writing or document containing such an agreement. And finally, this is what it says about a contract, marriage as a formal agreement. That our culture today views marriage as a contract. Well, I can't help but think how good are these contracts holding up today. I mean, I was reading the other day that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. 50%. I mean, one in two, five in 10, 50% of marriages 
I mean, think about it this way. If your mobile phone didn't work 50% of the time, and maybe it doesn't, you'd be asking questions. You'd demand an answer. You'd demand a change. You know, if you went to turn on the game this afternoon on your direct TV and it was out and that was happening 50% of the time, you'd demand a change. You would demand that someone would come out, that they would fix it, that they would repay. Or what if, you know, you know what if your car didn't work 50% of the time? You know, we'd demand some sort of response. I mean, the truth is that too many marriages are coming to an end today. And even so, many couples are even entering into their marriage planning for a failure, at least prepared for failure, 50%. I mean, that's not, it's not right. Something's not working. I mean, this contract mentality that we have is not getting it done. And so I think this morning, it's time that we be reminded that marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And I want to introduce you to a couple who did just that in their life. They saw their marriage as a covenant, and their marriage has never been the same. And so this time, I'm going to ask Tom and Shelly Anthony to come forward. And I know they're probably a little nervous, so let's just give them a hand and break the ice a little bit. This is the time I always feel like a talk show host. So. All right, Oprah. uh, this is, yes, thank you. And the clapping is really good to help. I'm really <laughs> nervous. So. Uh, this is Tom and Shelly Anthony. And uh, Tom and Shelly, uh, Tom is involved with the seatbelt company out in Westfield. And I should know, Shelly, that you're very involved there too with, with some of the work that happens there and, and both very involved in this church. Uh, two girls, Renee and Ronnie, uh, twins. 13. Age 13. And I'm sure that that's fun. And I just got to thinking about that. I was thinking about that last <clears throat> night, actually. When they were babies and they were infants, is it possible that you might have gotten them mixed up? That the one that you actually named Ronnie is actually Renee? We still don't know. You still don't know? Okay. <laughs> no, it's not possible. I mean, I just wondered, you know, God, how two God was really good, and um, he was exact even in his inexactness. And one of them had a kidney problem on one side, one had it on the other, one's left-handed, one's right-handed. Oh, you're kidding. Everything has been opposite. And if you talk to them, they're pretty opposite today. <laughs> well, they're great girls, too. And I know they're involved with our middle school ministry. I think they're serving in Gen Kids this morning. And I uh, appreciate getting to know them. Now, you guys have actually been involved with Genesis since the beginning, right? So how many years now are we talking? Seven, eight years? You're, you're the year, lady. Uh, I don't, yeah. It's been a long time. Seven. Seven. Well, we know that you have a great love for people and for, you know, reaching out to the community and helping people find their way back to God. And uh, we're excited that you're a part of this church and that you're willing to come share your story a little bit this morning about what God has done uh, in your marriage. Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit, just to kind of give us some background, how the two of you met and, and getting married and what that looked like in your life. <laughs> well, um, I was a flight attendant out of Dallas and um, I took and my... I was- I was a fisherman out of Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> I took my family to um, Key West for 36 hours. That's how long we were there. And uh, I don't know if anybody's ever been to Key West, but at the very end of the island, you go and watch the sunset. So that's where we met. Okay. And I was down with a friend of mine and his, his wife, who was seven months pregnant. And we had a plan that we would go fishing, and we would prop her up someplace where she could be comfortable. And so we went to Key West... We were in, in the middle of the Keys, and we went down one afternoon just to watch the sunset and have dinner and come back. 
and that happened to be the, the one evening that Shelley and her parents went to see the sunset. So is it possible then that you had to go to the very ends of the earth to find one another? Huh? Isn't that at great? I like ends, that. At least the ends it's of America. It's not here. The ends of America. Yeah, I like the ends of the earth. That sounds better. All right. So you met in this crowd at the sunset uh, in Key West, and then the relationship started. And so how, how long did you guys date? What did that communication look like? And then, and then getting married. It was... Well, really? first of all, I, I thought it would be um, perfect because she wouldn't be in town all the time. And so I thought this would be great. She was beautiful. And as a matter of fact, she was so pretty that when I got back to our hotel room, you know, where we were staying with the Costins, I had to ask my friend's wife what the rest of her looked like because all I remembered was her eyes. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's sucking up now because it's going to get worse later. But um, you know what? We were we met, and I flew up here a couple times just um, to meet him. We met in Chicago once when I was there for work, and um, we were um, engaged in three months and married in eight. So it was really quick, and uh, the first full week we had ever spent together was um, our honeymoon. Honeymoon. So, first more than two days was our honeymoon. So one might ask, how could you move that quickly? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, with Shelley being out of town, I wanted something to talk to her about. So I sent her a Streams in the Desert, and we would both read it, <laughs> and then we would talk about it. And that, you know, when I called, so uh, I got a peek inside of a really beautiful heart, and I got to see how she thought. And so I wouldn't recommend that for any bachelor who doesn't want to end up married. <laughs> so you guys, you dated for three months, and then you were engaged. Mm -hmm. you, were engage, you, you were married then after eight months of knowing one another. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you went on the honeymoon, and then, Shelly, I remember you kind of telling me that you were identifying that we don't know each other very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even the bad. ride home from the honeymoon, what happened? Well, the honeymoon was just bad. And, um, I mean, we just, we just realized that we really don't know each other and we kind of, it, it, you know, it was just kind of a shock. And so I'm like, you know, what did I do? I don't want to go home with him. And so um, we were in Seattle. And it hurts me too. <laughs> okay. We were in Seattle and um, at a restaurant and I, you know, excused myself and went and I, I called my mom and I said, you know, I don't want to go home with this man. I don't, I made a mistake. And, um, and my mom, by God's grace, who didn't know the Lord, but said, um, you can't, which is not my mom. I mean, you know, it, that was a God thing. I mean, still today, she'll tell you, because, you know, after that, she's like, come home, <laughs> just leave. So, um, but so, it's kind of how it was. And so I was like, okay, I guess I got to, you know, I got to go home. I mean, I had nothing at his house. I quit my job as a flight attendant. I left my friends. I left my family. I had no car when I got there here. I, my cat, every, everything I had was not here. I didn't have anything to come back to. We still have that cat. We do. He's 17. <laughs> 17 years old. Well, 
I'm sure that there are many couples that even on the honeymoon have these shocking revelations about one another and what it's going to mean to get used to being around each other in in such a way. But for yours, it was a precursor that um, you were going to face some great challenges and some great hurdles in your marriage. And so as you got home and life kind of picked up and kicked off, um, what were some of the challenges that you began to identify in this relationship coming together? It was really hard for me. Like I said, I left everything. And, uh, and I moved into his house, um, which was his, and, um, and it was, it was going to stay his. Um, he, he was kind of set in his ways. And, uh, Crusty, I like <laughs> So um, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody here. Um, I, it, was, it was just one of the hardest times of my life. And I think you even talked about, I mean, Tom had a cabin, and, and like you said, you were moving into his place. Right. And I think you even described to me, even in those first couple of weeks, Tom went off on, on a trip, and you did some rearranging or some decorating in yes, this bachelor I pad. And... I was so excited. I came home, and I thought, you know, I kind of grew up this way, so the first thing I changed was the bathroom. Went to Walmart, got some seat covers. For the toilet. For the toilet. And, uh, Which thought... is fine for the three-handed men <laughs> in the audience, but... And I, he called, and I'm like, I, you know, I had nothing, really, so I had to kind of just go get stuff. And, uh, you know, he's like, no, no, that's not how we're going to do things. I mean, it was clear that that, I mean, that little change. And uh, the poor lady at Walmart who I took it back to and had a meltdown to all, you know, she'll, I'm sure she remembers me to this day. But, you know, but um, I couldn't change anything. And, I mean, that was one thing we were struggling with, so. I think it was probably one layer deeper than that. I think um, I, I kind of was used to kind of coming to the end of, of issues, and Shelley's background was uh, different, and so I was pretty much in pursuit. So there was probably never real communication taking place. So all of the things that we're going to discuss probably are all peripheral, all very important, all very powerful, all very divisive, but all kind of around the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, Shelly, so you, you it, it at least appears that you sacrificed more in this. I mean, with, with leaving your home, leaving what you were familiar with, and coming to a place where you knew no one, and now you're living with a guy that you barely know that you're just trying to get to know. Tom, what, what were some of the challenges that you identified early on, at least from your perspective, and, and wanting to love your wife and for her to receive your love and, and just even some of your own imperfections? Well, I'm sure I'm pretty pig-headed, and like all men, I'm the guy that wants to try to fix things. And, um, and so I was... I was heart... In the same way Shelley was heartbroken, about all these things, I was heartbroke and in pursuit and realizing that, you know, every step forward I made, she was making another one away. And, and for all the same reasons that she was seeing justifiably me the way that I was, probably there was a heart ready uh, on the other end, but in the absence of any outside help, any I mean, to, to be able to draw near people, to, to find any kind of help, we, we were going to make no progress. And, uh, and I kind of recognized that. I mean, I was begging her, you know, can we, can we go to counseling? And I think, 
I don't know, did you viewed counseling as kind of a, a failure in itself. And so she didn't have any friends. The friends that I did have, um, and I think anybody could understand this, she would perceive that their bias would be towards me. I mean, she had left everything. So we were in a corner, and it was dark, and there wasn't a whole lot of ways out. And, and that's hard when you're, you're hiding a secret from everyone. And, and probably when you got together with family, you tried to play it up that everything's great, that you're the newlywed couple and life's good. But you, it wasn't good, and no one knew. And so you, you shared this secret, and you were all by yourself in it, and probably really even had a difficult time talking with one another about it. Um, we but weren't. it didn't race to get better. I no, mean, it no. continued no, it getting years. worse and worse mm-hmm. and worse. When did it finally, what well, kind of describe for me, Shell, I mean, what, when, did, when did maybe your perspective even go to the very worst of, okay, what is my plan of retreat? How do I just get out of this? Well, it was just bad, and we didn't have anybody, and we did fake through for years. And um, so, we're, you know, I don't even know really, I was trying to remember how we got to the conclusion, but I was like, you know, let's have kids. That'll help it. So... And twins, why not? Yeah. Just go and do twins. <laughs> so, so, you know, which of course added a whole nother dynamic and um, what a blessing they are and were at that time, but um, it, it made it worse for us. And uh, I just, you know, hated them. I hated living there. I, I, I mean, it was just hard. Um, we had... We had gotten to the point where I think um, she was willing to do anything that might lead to the end. And so I had been asking to go to counseling, and I tried to line somebody up through a church I knew. And, but she wanted, again, something more neutral. And, and so I, you found the counselor, I don't know where, but it was secular counseling. And we went for, I don't know if it was 12 or... I think, I don't know. I don't uh, how many weeks? It was a long time. And um, it, it was very one-sided. I think Shelly would even acknowledge it was one-sided. It was She's pre- on my side. <laughs> it's it pretty much, Tom, you're here. Shut up. Listen to what's going on. And, uh, and, and it was going no place. And Shelly and I, were, the expectation was that either things were going to come together or it would be a doorway out, potentially, so the day came where it all kind of came to the light, and I found out how far Shelley had retreated and how dire the situation was. And uh, we were at a we were at the last counseling session. I think I don't um, really really remember the details, except that you know I just said I found a place to stay, I found a job, and I'm I'm moving out on Monday. I'm. I'm done, and um, I didn't really know how I was going to do it. I don't have a lot of skills, I've, and but I, I just I couldn't live this way anymore. So Tom said, "Give me one weekend," and I'm like, "Will you help me move out? You know, if I give you this one weekend." And so um, I, I think Shelley had been trying to drive me out. Would you say that's, and so uh, I had, I mean, during this time, as, uh, obviously I wasn't oblivious to it, so there was a lot of pressure on, on both of us, and we were 
both heart sick and we were both hurting, both in our different ways. And I had to go to a business meeting in Chicago and I thought, I, I just need some place to clear my space, or my head, some space. And uh, so I had been praying like crazy and I had been journaling like crazy. And um, I had a wife that didn't just not love me. Um, she was at a point where she hated me, I think it's fair to say. And, um, and so I, I took off and I was heading up to our cabin and, and I got locked in by snow. And so the Lord wanted me right, right there at that point in time so he could talk to me. And, um, and so we came back and so we went to this conference or this uh, counseling session and um, and we got to that point where I found out what Shelley's plans were and what she was doing, and, and um, I said that I had a Lord that loved me so much that He gave me free will, and so that she, that I had no right to deny her free will, and so she could do whatever she wanted if she did one thing with me, and I had already kind of planned the location of the um, Family Life Conference to to go to neutral space. Uh, so we went to Portland, Maine, and uh, we went in um, very much in jeopardy. So kind of in the moment of desperation, then you were willing to agree, okay, let's, let's take one weekend. And so you headed to Portland, Maine to this Weekend to Remember Family Life Conference, and um, it really was a turning point. Didn't solve everything, but it was a turning point, and I think it's there that you began to hear the word covenant mm -hmm. uh, for your marriage. Describe for me what that was like for you, Shelley. Well, I didn't grow up in a church family, and so um, I thought and probably gave false impression to Tom at the beginning that I walked with Christ, and uh, um, I was at a unity church, so, you know, father, mother, God, that's just how I grew up when we did go to church. And um, so um, I had been kind of going to Bible study here a little bit, you know, with Joan and kind of hearing things. But um, to hear what they had to say about how Christ loved me and how he is in the center of our marriage and how, um, I mean, just so much I learned that weekend about our backgrounds. And, and I mean, it, it's... It's really amazing what came out of that weekend and what, we, what I personally learned about Christ's love for me and, and about the legacy to, live, to leave for my kids. I mean, it was so much information. Um, and how Tom's a gift, and he was given to me. And really, to take me to a sunset in Florida, I mean, I could see that, you know, it was meant. We were God put us together and there's a reason for that and it it just things came together for me um, that weekend it was an amazing conference family life it, it it's not a magic um, potion for everybody but it's a tool bag and to go in and, and talk about the sources of conflict to talk about how all of your strengths are your weaknesses to talk about how I am Shelly's perfect gift and she is my perfect gift. And then you look at those things that are causing conflict and you realize that her strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are her weaknesses. And 
in a relationship where both people think that, hey, we're just going to kind of merge lanes here and travel together as opposed to merge everything we've got, that is the source of conflict or it's the source of strength. And harnessed and realizing that God has put us together intentionally as a perfect gift, those things now, I mean, as corny as it may be, complete me. I mean, you know, the Jerry Maguire thing. I mean, they really do. I am so inept in all the ways that Shelley is. Unbelievable. And uh, so, God, she's my perfect gift. And, and we went in um, on the ropes and came out in love with each other. And it wasn't over. No. We, all we had was the tool bag. Mm-hmm. And Shelly, well, tell me, it was really powerful to me when you said, what was the prayer that you prayed to God, even as you were questioning whether you even loved Tom or not, as you came out of that weekend? Just um, that God would come in me and make me love him, love him through me, because I, I didn't have it. I mean, I wanted it at that point. I wanted it for my girls, you know. I wanted it um, because I didn't, you know, I mean, things were, the light was shown. I mean, I, I wanted this marriage that they talked about. I, and so I just wanted God to just show me and come in through me and just love him for me because I didn't have it at then. And, um, and he did, and it was amazing. I mean, um, in all the years of all the things, I can honestly say that that was the first time I felt like there was a true God, that he, he loves me and he's answering my prayer because I didn't have it in me. And so you, you have this restart now, and the mountain was still there to climb, but you've got this new motivation, you've got hope. Mm-hmm. And so these next few years were, were challenging years, but, but maybe every day a little bit better, a little bit brighter. Maybe just real briefly, what, what do those next few years look like? Well, we would fall back in all the same patterns. and We're the same people, and God, God doesn't throw a light switch. He kind of works with a rheostat. So it, this is measured in years. This is not measured in, in three weeks. Um, so... Shelly and I, I think there were two things for me that were really powerful. One was um, we were driving down the road, and we were having another conflict. And, you know, our girls were in the back seat, and it was a long drive. And, and uh, they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Shelly's like, I don't understand why we're still having this problem. And it was like God hit me on the side of the head, and he goes, would you guys quit asking, are we there yet? He goes, I've got you on a journey and I'm going to make you complete, and we're not there yet, but we're going to be there. So, And you kept coming back one. to this covenant, you know, yeah, we did. That, mm-hmm. that this is so much greater, that we've made this promise to one another. It's this commitment on steroids, and because God's a part of it, we can get through. Um, you guys have this picture hanging in your house, and uh, you want to just maybe just, I'll, I'll let everybody see it, and then maybe kind of describe what this yeah. is, and the significance of this? Well, this wasn't the first. I think we got a picture of it on the screen, too. So they didn't have this at the first family life. Shelly, where did we get this? Yeah, we, we, um, we went to a one-day uh, family life conference later um, and, and recommitted our, our vows in, in, in this covenant and realized, you know, I mean, we had, 
we had walked after, I mean, we were getting there, you know, we just, we were doing okay, but we just wanted to do this one day thing and, um, and just really remind ourselves to put God in the middle. I mean, it's hard. Marriage is hard. And it just, I mean, there's ups and downs. And um, so this does hang on our wall and it's, we look at it when we're in hard times and um, it just reminds us that God is in the middle of it. And it's our covenant with not only Tom, but it's a covenant that I've promised to God. You want to just read maybe what that says there at the top so everyone can hear? Yeah, it says our marriage covenant, believing that God in his wisdom and providence has established marriage as a covenant relationship, a sacred and lifelong promise reflecting our unconditional love for one another and believing that God intends for uh, the marriage covenant to reflect his promise to never leave us or forsake us. We understand, or we the undersigned, do hereby reaffirm our solemn pledge to fulfill our marriage vows. Furthermore, we pledge to exalt the sacred nature and permanence of the marriage covenant by calling others to honor and fulfill uh, their marriage vows. So working with others. And I would say um, that's been one of the things that's been most surprising to me. I would never say, go back 15 years, that God would use me in people's marriages. But Shelley and I have found ourselves working with a number of couples that find themselves in places of absolute no hope. And, it, you know, it's God's deal, and it's not always a happy ending, but, but God has showed up, and we have found ourselves. I'm, when we signed this, we didn't think much of that last line, but the truth is that's how he's used it. And, and now it's a motivation for you. I mean, it hangs on your wall, as you said, and you look at it, you feel like you, you owe this to God, for lack of better words, that you owe this to one another, that you owe this to your church, that you owe this to your friends and your family. But there are also two other signatures on that, uh, on that covenant. You want to tell us about those? I'll let Shelley. Well, we didn't want to just, everybody was having everybody sign it who was around them, but we, we wanted the girls to sign it. And so we recommitted and uh, did this in front of Ronnie and Renee, and it was powerful. How old were they at the time? They were five. Five. So. We've, we've got people here today that are hurting. Um, we've got people today that are you know, suffering in their marriage right now. Maybe they realize it, maybe they don't realize it. Maybe one person's in it, maybe the other one's not. Um, what, what words would you share just as we wrap up this time of encouragement, you know, to some of our families and our couples here this morning, or even those that, you know, are going to get married one day? Um, I'd go to family life before you get married. <laughs> um, that would have been a great thing, but um, I guess for me, if I was talking to somebody out there, I would um, don't do it alone. Sorry. It's all right. That was the hardest part, is doing it alone. Just not having somebody you could talk to or share your honest feelings or so, community. Yeah, just gather people around you that love you and pray that God will give you that love. Yeah, I think, I think Satan likes to single us off, get us away from the pack, and that's where he does his best work. And so 
it's easy to take in the lie that you're in this alone and um, you don't want to share the shame with anybody else and and so that's that's his biggest tool so if you're doing that you are playing directly into the hands of the one who um, is there to destroy and then the other thing is I I think life is a built-in crisis but I think marriage is a built-in crisis (laughs) and I think in the absence of God I mean, God loves us so much and pursues us so much that uh, these steps in life end up being an opportunity for him to call us to himself. And so I think every marriage has a built-in crisis. And I think every marriage is looking for that built-in crisis to be filled with Christ's love and his picture for marriage. Well, I'm going to ask you guys, if you wouldn't mind, would you, would you be willing to pray uh, for our church and for the for the families in our church as we wrap up this time together. And, and, you know, husbands, if you're sitting next to your wife right now, maybe it's a good time to just kind of reach over and grab their hand. But maybe, Tom, you want to pray and Shelley, and then I'll wrap us up. Lord, we love you. And we know in a room this size um, that statistics come into play and that if not 50%, there's a, a measurable percent of the marriages that are that are struggling or have struggled. So, Lord, we pray that you just glorify yourself and that you show up for these marriages and that they can realize how, how much beauty there is and how much hope they have, even though it seems dark. Um, the hopelessness and the darkness is Satan's tool to get them um, to abandon their covenant. But, God, you have a wonderful promise, and I pray that... Uh, you would just wrap your arms around those that are struggling and whisper in their ear and give them hope and give them comfort and help them draw to you and seek out others. Lord, I just pray for a hedge of protection around these families. And uh, Lord, just please put your hand on them and comfort them and let them know that you are there. Lord, just come into them and just give them love for each other. Walk them through this time, Lord. And those who are even considering marriage, Lord, I pray for this as well, that they just come to you first and foremost, Lord. And we just thank you for this amazing family at Genesis and just ask that they reach out if they need to. God, I want to thank you for Tom and Shelley, and I thank you for their story, Lord, and that you've brought them so far. And uh, you've given them strength today, that you've given them a great testimony. But God, we know and they know that uh, there's no permission to drift or to skate or think that they can coast even from this point forward. Uh, Satan, he's like, a, he's like a lion seeking to devour. And so I pray that you would just help them to always stay attuned to you and to their marriage and to one another and uh, to be motivated you know, by the covenant that they've established and for their daughters and for their church and, and for each other, God, and for you, God. I pray that they would do this. But I, I also want to pray. Uh, for those people in our, our crowd today, God, who may be going through some really difficult times right now, uh, God, may they see that in you they have hope. Uh, I pray for those who maybe have endured a divorce and are still living in that pain, and, and maybe it's very fresh. Uh, God, may they see in you a hope uh, that you will be there, that you sent Jesus uh, for every one of us, that you'll give us the strength if we'll just turn to you. Uh, and so we, we turn to you, God, and we just ask you to continue to, to show us the way that we may follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.